Be seated. As I grew up in a a church that uh, wasn't all together like this church, though it had some similarities, I grew up under the ministry of one man in the pulpit, and his name was Mike Stevens. He used to tell a story all the time about when he was in Jasper as a pastor, Jasper, Alabama, and he had a lot of miners in his congregation. And there was this tough man that lived there in the town and came to his church who was not a Christian, but he was faithful to church. He was always there. And during the week, he was just the roughest man in town. I mean, everybody feared him. And he was uh, prone to alcohol. He was prone to abusing his family. He was just a rough character. Big. The impression I got was of this big, burly human being who was not afraid of anybody. One day, as my pastor was their pastor at that time, back in the, sometime in the late 60s, they had an explosion in the mine he worked in. And part of the mine was sealed off. And there were miners there, few, just a few, who were trapped. And this big, strong man was one of them. Now, the town didn't know whether to celebrate or to go help him because he was just that mean of a guy. But our pastor said that he, he went with the family and they stood outside that mine shaft praying that God would spare his life. And God did spare his life. He was uh, brought out after being buried alive. He was brought out unconscious. And as he woke up in the days to come from his un- unconscious state, he had one memory of that whole day. And that was the sound of an explosion. The crumbling of walls around him. And he looked at my pastor and said, All I could say is, God, save me. He says all I could say. He said, I never prayed in my life until I saw it caving in around me. And he said, the only thing my heart could cry out was save me. When he used to tell that story, you know, I found some similarity between myself and that man. Because I had never been in a mine. I had never been buried alive. But yet I knew what it was to be buried under a load of sin. And to know that if my life was snuffed out, There'd be no hope for me. And at that moment, all I could cry is not an educated seminarian prayer. All I could cry is, God, save me. And I bet that each of you feel some similarity with that man in the mind. In the deepest darkest sin of your life when you've hit rock bottom there's only one cry that can come out of the heart of a man in that situation that has any hope of help you know what it is two little words three little words God save me we make salvation very complicated 
when it is as simple as for a child. The situation we face today in the text of Jonah is not much different than what that miner faced. And you might even doubt the sincerity of that miner's cry. You might even say, you know, I just don't know if a man can be saved when he cries like that. I want to give you two scripture references as you're looking at Jonah. Go ahead and flip over to Jonah. As I just read these, and listen closely as I read these two passages. For those who would doubt whether a man can be saved from a sincere cry of God save me, no matter what situation he faces. Listen to these texts. Luke 23, 39 through 43. One of the criminals who reigned railed at him, saying, this is towards Christ, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done no wrong. And there the thief was. The explosion has happened. And the walls are caving in around him. The darkness of death has sunken over this man as he hangs on the cross. And this is all he can say. Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Translated, God Save me. And what did Jesus say for any doubter in the room? Truly, I say to you, this very day, you will be with me in paradise. A man can be saved in a falling mine shaft. A man can be saved on a cross if he cries out, God save me. In true faith. Acts 16, 25-34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, Supposing that all the prisoners had escaped. The explosion had happened. The walls were crumbling in on this jailer. But Paul said to him, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for light. He rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? When the walls are crumbling in and death is at the door, God save me in true faith is all that's required. God save me. Not a work, not an action, not obedience to all these good things you should have done all your life, that's not required. All that's required is clinging to the promise of God that He will save you through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all a man needs. And he'll be saved. You know why I know that? 
They spoke the word of the Lord to him. Oh, excuse me. They said to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Not go to the temple, make sacrifice, beg for forgiveness, give alms to the poor, do good things, and then God will love you. No. On your knees with the sword to your throat, ready to kill yourself out of despair. Cry out in belief. And God will save you through Jesus Christ. That's all that's required of a man for salvation. It seems to me that most people who come to the Lord at any age, at any older age, come to Him this way. Think about it with me. If you were saved in your teen years, in your 20s, 30s, 40s, maybe your 60s, you come to Christ. Think about what it took for most of you to come to Him. It wasn't a rose garden. Things weren't all nice around you. Easy. Most of the time, you were flat on your back in a hospital bed, up to your eyeballs in debt, lost your job, families left, drug addicted, abused, sex starved and riddled with sexual sin. And out of the depths of that Sheol, you cried out, God, if there's any hope for me, it's Jesus Christ. Save me. And He didn't put you through a process. In a twinkling of an eye, you went from death to life. From death to life. That's a fairly common experience. You may be here this morning lost and you may think, I've sunk to the depths He's talking about. I'm at the bottom of the depths of despair. You may be here this morning saved and rebelling and knowing that you're sinking in the depth of rebellion and despair. Whether you're lost and dead or saved and rebellious, God has a powerful word for you from the text of Jonah. I want you to look at this text with me. Jonah 1.17 through the end of chapter 2. First of all, you will have to reach the point of total submission before you can be saved from your sin. You've got to reach the point of total submission before you can be saved. It does no good to cling to the world and say, if this add-on will help me, then I'll be saved. I'm reminded as we were at Ligonier this week, you know, R.C. Sproul got up and gave a great talk on faith and, 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 the, and the apologetic. What, it, what is apologetics? And he in this talk gave a very common example of faith. That is the chair. And he said, to be saved, you must trust the chair. And how do you know you've trusted the chair? What do you do? Sit in the chair, right? Common example. I've used it and probably will use it again because I think it does show us something about saving faith. But then John Piper got up, and he's my hero, okay? I think he's by far the best. We can debate that later. Just know you'll lose. (laughs) Among men living, I know of no one who loves the Lord and his saving faith more than that man, has more passion about it. He said this about the example of sitting in the chair. And this is the text. This is what I'm saying. You must reach the point of no hope. There's nothing else 
And you must not only reach that point, but you must cling to Jesus Christ for salvation. Because see, in that example of the chair, I should have put one up here. See, I can despise the chair, hate the chair. The chair can be ragged and torn and barely getting by, limping through. And it's the only alternative. So then I'll sit in the chair and it'll save me. But that's not saving faith. John Piper said, saving faith is loving the chair more than my life, more than my books, more than my friends, my family, more than anything. Love the chair above everything else. That's saving faith. I love Jesus Christ more than this world can offer, more than my education can offer, more than you can offer me as a church, more than my family can offer me as a family. I love the chair. God, take it all, but don't take the chair. And if I get to the end of this life and all I have is the chair and there's no golden streets and no streets of, and no glassy uh, lake and no pearl gates and none of that, all I have is Jesus, then I've had it all and I need nothing else. That's saving faith. That's the point you must come to. That's the point you, that man in the mind reached when everything was caving in was not, man, it'd be nice to have my old truck. God save me. Not, oh, it'd be nice to have one more drink at the bar. God save me. Oh, it'd be nice to be with my wife one more time in an intimate way. No, he just said, God save me. God save me. None of that stuff mattered anymore. None of that stuff mattered. And you must reach that point that nothing else matters. If I don't have Christ, it's worthless. The rich man came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? And what did he say to him? That was basically what he's asking. What do I have to do to be saved? To enter the kingdom, what do I have to do? Jesus said, obey the law. He said, I've done it since my youth. He said, there's one thing lacking. Sell everything you have. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, say, God, save me. And that's it. Take it all. And just save me. Take my possessions, my family, take it all. Just save me. He said, sell all you have and follow me. Isn't that what he said? That's the point you've got to come to. Sell it all. I don't need it. I don't want it. All I want is Jesus Christ. If he slays me, I'll praise him. If he takes my possessions, I'll bless his name. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You don't come to saving faith with all your stuff. To sit in the chair. You come to saving faith naked and bare before God saying, save me. That's the first point you must come to. In this text we see it. Jonah knew that he was guilty in rebellion. We look back at verse 7. It said that they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. He knew at that moment he was in rebellion. He knew it before they cast lots. He could have saved them the trouble and just said, it's for me the storm has come. He knew it. And you may be in rebellion today and you know that the storms in your life have been sent by the hand of God. So don't make us cast lots for you. Just come to the point to say none of this stuff matters. All I want is Jesus. That's all I want. Jonah knew that the storm was sent by God on his account. Look at his confession in 11, verse 11 and 12. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, what? Pick me up. Hurl me into the sea. Don't take my possessions with me. I don't want that. Don't, can I go back and get my knapsack? I'm going to need that later. Well, Lord, I'll follow you, 
The, the walls are caving in, remember? Well, oh Lord, I'll follow you, but let me go bury my dead father. Jesus' reply to you is the same as it is in the text. Let the dead bury the dead. Sell all you have and follow me. And that's what Jonah came to. He knew the judgment was from God to him. He knew that. He knew he was guilty. He knew that it was there sent by God's hand. Cast me into the sea. Hurl me into the sea. And then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah could only be saved by surrendering to the hand of God. The men tried to row back to shore in verse 13. They tried to go back. They rowed hard so they wouldn't have to throw him in the sea. And they couldn't get there. You're in your rebellion, you're in your sin, and you're trying man's devices to get yourself out. Don't do it. AA won't help you. Counseling won't help you. A friend won't help you. No one will help you except Jesus Christ and Him alone. You tell me, well, you just don't know how bad my sin is. I don't have to. Your sin's the same as my sin. It's the same as Jonah's sin. God has said... And we don't do. That's our sin. God has said it and we deny it. Go our own way. That's what Jonah did. That's what you're in the process of doing as you sit here today. Jonah cast away. He was cast away into the judgment of God in verse 15. They picked him up and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased. Jonah was saved by the miraculous power of Jehovah. And Jehovah appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I just, I, I could preach months on this text. I'm going to spare you that, but I do want to sum it up for you. I believe Jonah is historical. I believe he really was in the belly of a fish. I know some people dispute that because they look at it and say, no man can survive in an acid-filled stomach chamber of a fish. I don't care what science says. I care what my Savior said when he said there was a historical man named Jonah, basically is what he's saying, and he was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights, and I'm going to be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. Now, I don't know about you, but I take the Savior over science any day. And beyond that, the reason they can't understand these scientists, how he could survive, is they fail to read the first words of the verse. Jehovah appointed. You see, I don't know that it was a whale. I don't know that it was a fish. It could have been a minnow for all I know. I don't know what kind of fish it is. Large-mouthed bass. I, I don't know. Neither do I care. Because I know this. God appointed it. God ordained it. That's what it means. God arranged it to swallow him. Now, you can take that one of two ways. I, I choose the second way. The first way is that God made a creature that was commonplace in that ocean. And there was thousands of them. And it came up to the side of the boat. By the hand of God it did. And swallowed this man. And by the way, it could have been a well. I don't know because it was swallowing seaweed. We see that in his prayer. I was surrounded by seaweed. And I was swallowed by a fish. You know, the fish didn't know he was eating Jonah. He's like, well, there's Jonah. Let's go have a snack. No, he saw seaweed, kelp. All the little critters in the kelp what he was after. He got Jonah as a bonus. Gave him a bellyache. He vomited later in the text. But God, okay, you can take that route, and that's a miraculous thing. What, what I'm saying is 17. 
Verse 17 is a miracle. It ain't never happened before, and it ain't ever going to happen again. If you fall off your cruise boat on the way to the Caribbean, no fish is going to come swallow you, okay? Don't do that. I mean, you know, don't jump off and say, well, if God loves me, he'll send a fish. No, you'll probably drown. <laughs> this was a one-time occurrence as far as we know. It never happened again. I don't know that it ever will happen again. I take the second approach to verse 17. I believe before the foundation of the world, God ordained this event. And I believe out of nothing he spoke a fish, which no one knows the existence of, nor can they find the recorded being of, from skeleton on the bottom of the sea or anything like that. He's a one-time fish. I believe he raised him up just like that. When Jonah said, throw me in the sea, God said, let there be a fish, and there was a fish. Just like that. And why? Because before the foundations of the world, our sovereign God said, I'm going to get my prophet where he needs to go. And when it comes time, I'll make a fish. I don't know that the fish had stomach acid. I don't know that he had a stomach. All the Bible tells me in the Hebrew is that it was a great sea creature. Now, it could have had stomach acid or it might not have. It doesn't really matter. All that matters is that the sovereign God wanted his prophet and he got him. He saved him. And he appointed the method by which he would be saved. And that method is no different than the method he chooses to save you by. And that is your humiliation. You must reach the point of submission before you can be saved. Your guilt cannot prohibit God's ability to save you when you cry for mercy. Look at verses 1 through three here in uh, through two here in the second chapter. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. He's guilty. He's guilty and under judgment. He prayed to God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah was guilty. Look at verse 3 of chapter 1. Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He was in rebellion. He was under judgment. Look at verse uh, 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. That's the judgment of God. He was under judgment. But your guilt and your judgment cannot prohibit God from hearing you when you cry. God, save me. That's what Jonah said. I cried to you from the depths of the ocean and you saved me. Jonah was still in the rebellion that he began in verse 3 when he was cast into the sea. He was still in rebellion. He didn't repent. God forgive him and then he was cast into the sea and God miraculously saved him. No, he was in rebellion from verse 3 all the way through verse 17 When the fish swallowed him, he still was in rebellion when God saved him. And when he saves you, you'll be in rebellion. You can't clean your act up, get good, and come to God. You'll be a rebellious soul when he saves you and brings you to repentance. God heard the cry of Jonah, according to verse 2, from the depth of the ocean of judgment. He was sinking in the ocean of judgment, and he he prayed out. Now, We know that because the verb here is past tense. He's in the belly of the fish and he did cry to God from the depth of Sheol. The belly of Sheol was not the fish. Don't misunderstand what the fish is in this instance. It's not judgment, it's salvation. 
The fish is salvation. Judgment is the ocean. When he prayed, he was in the ocean. And then he was swallowed. And what we have is a latter account of that happening. I did cry to you. I did do that. I, when he was in the belly of fish, he said to the Lord, I did cry to you when I was in the ocean. When I was in the belly of Sheol, I cried. And you heard my voice. Your judgment is the perfect third thing. Your judgment is the perfect place for you to cry out to God for mercy. You're here today and you're in rebellion. I want to tell you, you're in the perfect place. You're in the perfect place to cry to God. Look at verse 2. I was in distress and you answered me. In the belly of Sheol I cried. In judgment I cried. In the place of separation I cried. That's what Sheol means. The place of the dead I cried out. Save me and you saved me. God's sovereignty over all circumstances is upheld in this passage. You know why? Look at verse 3, chapter 2. For you cast me into the deep. Who cast him into the deep? Who did? Back in chapter 1. Who's, Yang said out loud, who did it? The sailors did it. Right? They picked him up and they hurled him in the ocean. In his prayer, who did Jonah recognize as throwing him in the sea? God. See, some of you are in this deep despair in rebellion. And you think you got yourself there. And you think you'll get yourself out. But in reality, because of the rebellion of your heart, God puts you there. And it's God who will bring you out. You didn't get yourself where you are. God got you there so he can bring you out. That bothers some of you. I know. Because you're used to the Sunday school God who jumps at our every whim and gets us out of our problems that we cause. And the God of the Bible ordains it all. He puts you in judgment so that He might bring you out. That's a beautiful promise from God. If you're under the judgment of God because of your sin this morning, what must you do to be saved? Cry out to God in repentance and He will save you. He will save you. God threw Jonah into the sea. Jonah cried out in repentance. God performed a great miracle in preparing the fish and God saved His child from sure death. God brought the circumstances in your life, Christian, in rebellion. Hear this this morning. God brought these circumstances on you, not for your harm, but for your good, so that He might save you. Stop complaining. Stop whining. And stop trying to fix your own problems. Cry out to Him from judgment and say, Save me, or I won't be saved. And He'll save you. Just like that. No process, nothing. He'll rescue you from the depths of Sheol. Your circumstances may seem impossible, fourthly, but God can save you. So we've got to come to submission. We then have to realize that God is not prohibited by our sin and guilt. And then we have to come to the perfect place of judgment so that we can cry out to God. Fourthly, in this text, we see that it may seem impossible, but God can save you. 
Jonah has gone from trying to flee the presence of God to feeling as if God has driven him out. Look, look at verse 4. Then I said, I am, what? Driven away from your sight. Who left? God or Jonah? Who left? In verse 3, Jonah left and he said, my intentions is to get out of the presence of God. When he got out of the presence of God in the belly of judgment, what did he say? You drove me away from your presence. He gives God glory in all of the process. And he understands that though he rebelled, God did bury him in the ocean of judgment. God did place him under that wrath. Jonah remained filled with hope during this time because he knew loving kindness, the loving kindness of our great God. Look at verse 5 and 6. The waters closed in up. Imagine this. How many of you fear drowning to death? I mean, maybe you don't walk around every day saying, I hope I don't drown today. But I mean, if you stop and think, there's two things I do not want to do. If you're around, please don't let it happen. I don't want to be burned to death. And I don't want to drown. It's two things I don't want to do. Now, I may end up having to do it. But I don't want to. I can't think of anything more excruciating than wanting oxygen and finding water. Look at what he says in verse 5. The waters closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. You're in the depth of your, your rebellion today. You are surrounded by nothing but water, which if you draw it in, it will kill you. Sin, judgment, wrath, death is all around me. And you're sinking in it. You're where Jonah was. The waters closed in. The deeps around me. Weeds wrapped about my head. Here Jonah is cast into the ocean. I'm not a mariner. But let's say 30, 40 foot swells are happening. He throws him overboard. They, they throw him overboard. And the turbulence of those waves suck him under. To the bottom. And instinctively, he begins to try to get back to the surface only to find a canopy of seaweed that wraps around him. He can't get to the surface. You can't get to the surface either. You're in drug addiction, sex addiction. Uh, Maybe you've been abused and are being abused today. I don't know what problems are in your life. Sickness, whatever it is. And you are fighting with all that is in you to get to the surface. And I'm telling you, you can't. Because God has placed a canopy of seaweed over you. He won't let you save yourself because He loves you too much. In the end, if you could get to the surface and stay alive and breathe, you'd die in judgment. You'd stay in the sea. You would not be saved. God has sovereignly arranged your life that you might gasp for air saying, God, save me. And at that moment, the fish He has appointed is there and takes you in. And rescues you. So that you can't say, I got better. I went to AA. I went to dry out clinic. I'm saved by my own works. No. God says, I'm going to put a canopy there. You'll stay in there and long and yearn and hurt until you gasp and say, God, save me. And at that moment, I'll save you. Not before. And not after. God doesn't save you. At your whim, God saves you at His appointed time. 
Don't believe the lie that you can come when you're ready and when you want to. You'll come when he has you come. That's what happened with Jonah. You may be in the same place as Jonah today. Debt, loss of job, terrible marriage. You say it's impossible. And I say to you the words of Jesus Christ, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with our God. Your salvation, fifthly, will come in God's time and not your convenience. God sent the time, the, the fish at His timing, not at Jonah's. It would have been more convenient had the fish showed up when he fell in the water. But that wasn't God's timing. God put him to the bottom, to the roots of the mountains, to the very sand of the ocean floor. Wrapped him up in seaweed, and then when he despaired for his life, God saved him. That is how our God works. He works at His time in His sovereignty. Your salvation brings absolute reverence to the one true God. Look at the end of verse 7. He says at the beginning, when my life was fainting away. I literally believe Jonah was blacking out. He's holding his breath. He knew if he opened his mouth, he'd drown. So he kept his mouth closed, fighting the natural urge to open his mouth. He knew he'd drown if he did that. And so he's holding his until he blacks out. And then the fish saves him. When he wakes up, he's in the belly of a fish. I think he went to sleep in that faint thinking I'll wake up in heaven. He woke up in a fish. Talk about a downer. (laughs) See, God will save you out of your rebellion. And sometimes he does it in increments of time. He was in a terrible situation when he was wrapped up in that seaweed. But let's be honest. He was in a pretty bad place when he woke up. He's in the bottom of a fish's belly. God could have let him sleep through all that and woke him up when he hit the dry ground. But God woke him up. He was still in the depth of the sea, just in a vehicle now, which was headed sovereignly for the shores of Joppa. Matter of fact, I think he dumped him out right, just right there where he started. You get a do-over. It's a mulligan. Start over from here and go where I told you to go. He dropped him off, and there he was, when he woke up in the depth of the sea, in an ocean, in the belly of a fish. As life was fading away, Jonah remembered the love of God. Look at verse 7. I remembered the Lord. Some of you have prayed these verses into your children and into your husband and into your wife and you say, God doesn't hear me when I say this. I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, even into your holy temple. Not the temple in Jerusalem, into the temple of heaven. Where we have a high priest, a perfect high priest. Those, he says, who pay regard to vain idols. Where is he going? Nineveh. Who was idol worshiping? Nineveh and Israel. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. This is a psalm. You can choose it. But Psalm 117 says, Praise the Lord. All nations, extol Him, all peoples, for what? Great is His steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. 
this, you, if, you, if we had time, we'd go through and see that all of these texts, all these words are tied to a psalm. He's praying back the scripture of God to God. Let me say, make application quickly here. And that is, you're in judgment. You're in the belly of your fish. Maybe you're in the depths of the wrath of God this morning in sin, in rebellion. And you see no hope. It's impossible and there's no way I can be saved. And I say to you, if God so moves in your heart, you can cry to Him from where you are and He will save you. He saved a miner in Jasper, Alabama who lived his whole life in rebellion against God to that point. When the walls caved in, he said, God saved me. The testimony of that man is he died in the faith. When he woke up from his coma, he believed. He had one memory. Think of that, how awesome that is. One memory. He didn't remember getting up and speaking harshly to his wife. He didn't remember getting up and cussing at a guy at work. He didn't remember any impure thought he had that day. He didn't remember any of it. One thought that for that whole day. And what was it? When it was caving on me, I said, God saved me, and He saved me. One thought. That's the steadfast love of our great God. Changed that man's life. A thief on the cross, dying, looked at his compadre and said, we're here because we deserve to be. That man's never done anything wrong. Oh, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. God, save me. That's what he's saying. And I bet he had one memory from that day. Not the nails, not the beating, not the pain. He remembered one thing. Jesus looked him in the face and said, This day you'll be with me in paradise. The jailer came, sword to the throat, and said, I despair. There's no hope. If the prisoners are gone, I'm a dead man anyway. I might as well die. And Paul said, wait. None of us left. And from his knees with a sword to his throat, he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul gave him one thing to do. What? Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. And your household with you. And the testimony of that man is, is they got up and Paul and Silas went to his house and they ate and his house was saved and they were all baptized that night. You know what his one memory when he laid his head down was? Throat, my throat had a sword against it. And I said, God, save me. And instead of a sword, I got salvation. And not just me, but my whole family. How great is the steadfast, immovable love of our great God. And so I say to you in application, sinner that has never cried out to Him, cry out today. He commands it. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Some of you are wrongly waiting on the kingdom to show up one day. Oh, I know, you've read Revelation 20. It's the only chapter most Southern Baptists know, but they know it. Revelation chapter 20. And they're waiting on Christ to come after the gospel's been defeated for millennia. And then He's going to rescue. I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ, when asked about the kingdom, said, The kingdom is here. You don't see it because you don't believe. And I tell you the reason you don't see the kingdom of God today 
is because you don't believe. And if you believe, the kingdom is here. It is in you and it is moving forward and the gospel is winning, not losing because men are being called out of a dead world to salvation today and you can be one of them. Call out to Him and be saved. And if you're a Christian in rebellion, in the depth of that sea, wrapped in your sin, say to Him, I am a sinner. I'm rebellious. Save me. He'll save you. He's prepared a way for you. Let's pray. Father, You're so merciful. Your love is steadfast, immovable, never wavering. Jonah never wavered in this whole prayer. He never went back and forth between judgment and salvation, only salvation. Even when he speaks, Lord, to us about his judgment, he speaks in salvation terms. When I was in despair, you saved me. Oh God, help us to be this way. Though we be wrapped in sin and rebellious against you, let us call to you. Be merciful to us. We know that you will be. Help us not to serve idols made with our own hands or the devices that we dream and imagine in our heart. Help us to love Jesus above every other thing in this world or the next. Save us, God. Your rebellious children are tired. Bring us home. God, if there be a lost man who's heard this message, may he walk away with one thought, and that is, all that is required of me is faith in the living Lord Jesus Christ, and I will be saved. Banish all false doctrine of works and good, good works. Banish it from their heart and their mind today and let them only think, if I call to Him and believe in Him, I will be saved. Because His steadfast love never fails. And salvation is of the Lord. Oh, Father, we love You and praise You. And it is in Your great name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Two quick announcements. First of all.